We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you. As always, for checking us out today, whether you're listening to this in audio podcast form, whether you're watching us on the video side on YouTube, appreciate you all. Today is Wednesday. Well, this podcast is dropping anyway on Wednesday. And what I've been doing all season and continuing this week is uh, Buffalo Bills All-22 film and uh, PFF grade analysis of week five for the Buffalo Bills. And of course, this was a very uh, Ugly loss in London to Jacksonville, a very consequential loss far beyond the box score and just the one game for the Buffalo Bills being three and two now after five weeks. That really doesn't mean much to me right now. Um, what came out of that game means a lot more. And we'll talk about that a little bit anyway today. I got to say, and I say this every week too, this is, I'm not here for any analytical breakdowns. You know, you're not going to get educated on the game film. That's not what I do. That's not what I'm good at. I say it every week. I'll say it again. If that's what you're looking for, then guys like Eric Turner over at cover one or Anthony Prohaska at cover one, Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. Those are the shows where you can really learn a lot by uh, listening to these guys dive into the film and, and give you a lot. For me, what I do with this episode every week is I have my own opinions and watching the film, which I did spend a couple hours watching this game film and then spending a couple hours really diving into uh, the PFF premium grades, it kind of either strengthens or it loosens my opinion on what I originally saw with my own eyes on Sunday. And I want to share some of those thoughts and some of the PFF stuff with you today. Before that, though, I, I got to say this. And this comes with the territory when the Bills lose. I get it, man. I, I've been doing this show for well over five years now. And I've been around social media a lot longer. When the Bills lose and things go bad, including injuries, social media could just be such a, a testy, if not ugly-ass place. A cesspool. Say it all the time, man. Most of 
Bills fans or just fans of general are, are really good on social media and it's fun to interact with them. But you always get that loud minority that could kind of make the whole experience just uh, a, a really shitty place to be. And trust me when I tell you, man, I'm going through it all this week. I'm completely honest with my assessments. That's just how I am. And in this moment, I think, and we'll talk about these injuries a little bit, but I think what happened to the Bills between Daquan Jones and Matt Milano, coupled with Trey White last week, I tweeted about this. I, I think it's just too much to overcome. I think the Bills are still going to be a good football team. They got a lot of good players. They're going to win games. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. But unless Brandon Bean does something via the trade market, my personal opinion at this time is that I no longer think that this is a Super Bowl roster. And let me tell you, man, fans are giving it to me, especially on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to put out a couple of these before we get going. Ryan Kingsley says, you might be the most negative, smug personality in Buffalo sports talk, and that's saying a lot. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I really don't know what to say. Uh, primetime Bills Mafia for life. And by the way, let me read my actual tweet for people who are listening to this show, what I said on Monday. And this was after the news came out officially, some stuff we were all expecting that Daquan and Matt Milano both most likely done for the year. I said, sorry, it is what it is. Regardless of how much you hate hearing it, you do not overcome losing Trey White, Daquan Jones, and Matt Milano in the span of eight days and successfully overcome it. Bills are so good. They'll beat a lot of teams, but that's just too damn much. Uh, primetime Bills Mafia for life. Okay, turn in your fan card and don't come back. Garth Strobel takes it a, a step further. Patrick, good to see a potential Jerry Sullivan replacement on here. Uh, let me say this right off the bat, and then I want to get into uh, what we do every week here. I got my three biggest takeaways from the game. Then we're going to run down positionally some of the PFF grades and film notes um, that I took. But I want to say this before I get going with anything else. I am a fan of the Buffalo Bills. When the Bills are playing, I root for them to win. Okay, I'm going I'm to throw that out there. I'm not going to try to pretend otherwise. I know there's some people, whether they're content creators or maybe in the media, who will sit there and tell you that they really don't give a shit if the Bills win or lose. It's about covering the team and it's about the stories. I think that's bullshit straight up. Most people who cover this team want the Bills to win for a lot of reasons, whether they're a straight up fan of the team, whether it's better for business, whether it's better for positive fan engagement. There's lots of reasons why these people who create content and cover the team want the Bills to win straight up. So I want that. And I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to lie from that. But that said, I'm not an ambassador to the Buffalo Bills, okay? When I do this show, when I, when I tweet, when I post on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's not my responsibility and it's not my choice to play fanboy. I'm going to tell you how I feel, whether it's in written form, whether it's in audio form, video form. I'm going to tell you how I feel about the game, about the players about everything going forward, how I feel in that moment, whether you want to hear that or not, I'm going to be, at least in my own mind, I'm going to be objective. I'm going to be unbiased. 
And I'm going to tell you, at least in my opinion anyway, and that's what ultimately at the end of the day, this is my opinions, how I think it is. So if I think things are shitty and I think injuries are too much to overcome, or I think there's something wrong with this football team, I'm going to call it out. And I'm going to be honest. And if you want to listen to it, awesome. If you don't, then don't. Same thing with my Twitter or all my socials. You want to read what I got to say or, or watch clips? That's awesome, man. But if you don't, keep it moving. Because I'm not going to sit there and play fanboy when I don't think things are going good. It's just not what I'm going to do with my uh, with this show. And it's not what I'm going to do with my social media. So take that for what you will. But I'm going to continue to call out what I see good and bad. If I'm going to sit here and praise a team up and down to no end when they play great, when they beat the shit out of Miami, well, then I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be pretty angry about some stuff that I saw on Sunday and some things going forward because yet again, for a second straight year, injuries are threatening to derail the Buffalo Bills season. So I just wanted to put that out there. And on that note, I want to dive in here. I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I hate when solo episodes go too long. But anyway, kind of same format, like I said, as the last four weeks. I got three big takeaways um, from this game specifically. The biggest for me is I thought the coaching was bad. I do. And look, there are lots of disadvantages to the Bills. Travis Etienne literally said it post-game, the pro football talk that it was a big advantage for Jacksonville to be there for the full week. Not really going to get into that today. We already know that. It's already been discussed. But for me, I got an issue with the Bills coaching, which is ironic because I sat here less than a week ago in an episode that was taped live at Imperial Pizza with uh, my partner, Tone Pucks. And I said, I wasn't worried about a Bills letdown in part because I really liked the coaching this year. But I'm going to tell you, I thought the coaching was really bad. And I'm not talking about necessarily the X's and O's because look, there's a lot of times where players execute plays in plays that don't work, schemes that don't work, calls that don't work. It's not because it was the wrong call. It's because the player didn't execute it. You know, like when it's second and one and you pitch the ball side of James Cook and he gets snuffed for a three yard loss. That's not an Dorsey. That's on Spencer Brown missing a block or Cyrus Torrance missing a block or Quinton Morris missing a block or James Cook not breaking a tackle. You know, when you scheme open Khalil Shakir for a two-point conversion pass and it looks like an easy score and he can't beat one guy to get to the end zone, to me, that's as much on Khalil Shakir not breaking the tackle as it is on Ken Dorsey making a play call. Or like on the defensive side, when Sean McDermott schemes up the right defense, but you whiff on three tackles and the guy goes for a long game, that ain't that's not coaching, man. That's player execution. That's X's and O's. Or not X's and O's. That's the Johnnies and the Joes, I should say. So that's not what I mean by bad coaching this week. What I mean is this, man. This team flat out was not ready to play this game. Regardless of when they got into London, what the sleep schedule was like, whatever that may be, this was a football team that came out flat. And whether you're playing in the NFL at the highest level in the world, or whether you're playing Pop Warner football, to me, when I watch a team and they come out and they're just not ready to play the game, to me, that's coaching. You, the coaches don't have this team ready to play. They were flat. There was no urgency. 
especially on offense, there was no fire in this team whatsoever to literally the last, what, minute and a half or so of the first half. And then near the end of the game where they're like, oh, shit, we're going to actually lose this game. Then the offense steps up. But by that point, it was too little too late. So I thought the coaching was really bad because this was a team that just was too flat and not ready to play. That's number one. Number two, the offensive line is not as good as I thought. You know, I'm going to circle back again to my show last week with Tone Pucks when we were talking about this game. And I said, I'm not worried about a letdown because of coaching and because I thought the Bills were really, really good in the trenches. And when you're good in the trenches, you can win ugly games. That's kind of like your, your best preventive against a, a letdown. But this offensive line got smoked, man. And I'll say the details a little more specifically on the O-line for a few minutes. But in hindsight, I think I was a little overconfident in this offensive line. And uh, that came back to bite me and, and bite the Bills uh, on Sunday. And then the last thing, and this is the most obvious big takeaway, is the injuries, man. I, they're far, 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 far more meaningful than losing this football game. And I get why Matt Milano was the big story, as he should be. I mean, I don't need to throw out stats to tell you his value. If you got a pair of functioning eyeballs and you watch the Buffalo Bills play, you know how important he is to this team and how irreplaceable he is to this team. But it's not even just him. It's also Daquan Jones. I'm not going to play the clip, but if you go back to last week's show that I had with Aaron Quinn previewing this game, I literally said on the show last week that at the quarter point of the season, you can make a really, really strong case that Daquan Jones has been the defensive MVP of the Buffalo Bills. He has been awesome this year. I looked up the stats. Again, we'll start with some PFF stuff here. Best interior defensive line pass rush productivity in the entire NFL. He is the best pass rushing productivity guy right now among defensive tackles in the NFL. And he's sixth best of anybody, period, in the NFL. That's rushing the passer. 76.9 run grade, which was fifth best among any defensive tackles in the NFL. So he's been a monster. I think last year, you kind of take Daquan Jones a little bit for granted. Didn't really pop off with anything. But when he didn't play in the playoffs against the Bengals, I think we all started to realize how important he was. And man, he's been as good as anybody this year. And, and they lose them both. I, I think if you made a list of, before the season started, before week one, and I told you, make a list of your top six players that the Bills could least afford to lose for the season going into this year. Trey White, Daquan Jones, Matt Milano, I think, they're right there among the top six. Of course, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Deion Dawkins, in part because he's your left tackle and the Bills are really thin to tackle. I'd say three of the six players that they've lost for the season right now, probably 50% of that list is gone before they even get to week six. So I, it's just, it's very uh, disheartening. So those are my biggest takeaways. I, I just thought the coaching was bad because this team came out flat. The offensive line, not as good as I thought it was. And uh, the injuries, I just feel like ultimately they might be too much to overcome. They will be too much to overcome if the only thing Brandon Bean does is sign Josh Norman to play corner and promote freaking AJ Klein from the practice squad. If that's what you're going to do, if you're basically trading in Trey White and Matt Milano for Josh Norman and AJ Klein, that's a wrap. You are not beating Kansas City. 
You're not beating Cincinnati. You're not beating Miami in the playoffs either. I don't care what their success has been against Miami over the last few years. You're not beating these teams with those kind of losses. You're just not. I'm sick to my stomach about Daquan Jones being gone, but at least with that position, I have reasonable faith that Puna Ford can step in and do at least some of the things that Daquan Jones does very well. But that cornerback position, that linebacker position, it is now a disaster. A disaster. And the Bills better find a way to address it beyond Josh Norman and uh, AJ Klein. I'm going to take a real quick break, come back. I'm going to fly through these positions. Got grades to talk about and a couple notes after watching uh, some of the film. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back with some uh, notes and thoughts after, again, watching the All-22 Coaches film and analyzing the BFF grades from the Bills' Week 5 loss in London uh, to Jacksonville. Quarterback Josh Allen, this is, again, and we talked about this week after week. Some of the grades that I see from PFF make sense. Some don't. Josh Allen had a 91.5 overall grade, 89.7 uh, passing grade. That was his highest overall grade of the season. Second best passing grade of the season by slim margin um, against Miami last week. I don't get it. I mean, this is a guy who's won AFC Offensive Player of the Week twice this year. And this was his highest grade. I didn't see it. And this is how it goes with PFF. I, I say it all the time. I'm not going to sit there and bash them when it doesn't fit my narrative and, and praise them when it does. Trying to keep this objective. I thought Josh Allen was all right. Sunday in Jackson or in London, I should say, against Jacksonville. 27 to 40, 359, two touchdowns and a pick. Those numbers certainly look impressive on the surface. He also had three drops in the game. Uh, he was pressured 13 times, which was the most since week one against the Jets. When he was pressured 21 times, he was under pressure 31% of his dropbacks, and he was only three of 12 passing on them. So Jacksonville did an excellent job of not necessarily sacking Josh Allen. In fact, they didn't sack him. Well, they did once, but Josh Allen, uh, the other Josh Allen, got called for a penalty of face mask hit. But anyway, they didn't bring him to the ground, but Jacksonville did a great job of pressuring Josh the whole game, and Josh wasn't successful under pressure. Put a lot of that, of course, on the offensive line. Again, he wasn't bad. He was all right. Just like the rest of the offense, I, I kind of feel like they slept walk through the first 28 minutes and it ultimately 
hurt them a lot. So anyway, PFF gives Josh Allen a, a better grade than I thought was deserved. One bad, but it wasn't nowhere near his best either. Uh, the running backs, not good. Except for Damian Harris. Damian Harris, far and away, was the most effective uh, running back, both in grades with PFF, 75.1 overall grade, 74.2 run grade. Uh, by comparison, James Cook only had 55.5, and Latavius Murray only 52.8. You know, I watch a lot of these games, not all, but most of these games with my family, uh, my son, my wife, and, and I'm talking about it during the game. And it just seemed to me, Damian Harris should have got the ball more. He was the only one who looked like he had some juice in hitting the holes quick. Like James Cook, and hey, man, I mean, more times than not, James Cook, the way his style is, the way he runs, patient, waiting for the play to develop, and then bam, he hits that hole, picks up that speed, shows some juice later in the games. I'm good with that. It just wasn't working against Jacksonville. And with Latavius Murray, man, I love Latavius Murray, and especially he's played great this year. It just seems like sometimes he just wants to take the ball, run into the pile, go bam. Like Damian Harris was finding little holes, little squirts of uh of gaps to run through and doing an effective job. I thought Damian Harris should have been, you know, if this is going to be kind of like a committee thing where Ken Dorsey goes with the hot hand, I, I feel like it should have been uh a little more Damian Harris. So I did not like that. Wide receivers, look, Stefan Diggs was great. And so was Gabe Davis. Let's start with Gabe, in fact. 81.0 overall grade, 79.4 receiving grade. Both his best grades of the season from PFF. It's six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown, which, of course, he also had a drop. And again, the Gabe Davis haters out there, there's just nothing this kid is ever going to do to please you. All you want to talk about is his drop. I think he more than made up for it. Six catches for 100 yards. I said last week, I'll say it again, I hate the WR wide receiver two label to me. It's Stefan Diggs and a bunch of alternative weapons. And I'll tell you what, Gabe Davis is the only one who was showing up so far this year with any type of uh, consistency. He's got 18 catches for 320 yards and four touchdowns this year, two drops. And of those 18 catches, he's averaging a career best 17.8 yards per catch. And like I said, he's already got four TDs already. He has been, if that's what you're, your wide receiver two production, if, if that's not good enough for you, then I again, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Gabe Davis has been the least of the Buffalo Bills problems. As for Stefan Diggs, dude just keeps rolling. He's great. Eight catches, buck 21, 70.3 receiving grade, which again, when I look at Stefan Diggs, I don't give a shit what PFF gives him for a grade. I really don't. We know he's one of the top five receivers in the NFL. You go by the PFF overall receiver grades, he's like 16th. I don't know how. And again, I really don't give a shit. You know what you got with Stefan Diggs. You don't need no film and you don't need no advanced stats and, and grades to tell you what kind of player Stefan Diggs is. Them two were really good. I thought Deontay Hardy showed good promise, probably for the first time this season. Two catches for 62 yards. He had a 43-yard catch late in the game. 79.1 PFF grade. Um... I think it's time to see more Deontay Hardy in that slot role as that third wide receiver. Shakir, Trent Shurfield, they didn't do shit this game. Khalil's had a couple nice catches this year, but uh, he is what he is. I'm a little bit disappointed in Trent Shurfield. In part, maybe it's because of a lack of opportunity, but I was really high on him, and that's not materializing right now. Anyway, get those guys in. 
if somebody's banged up a little bit, you know, or, or if Gabe or, or Stefan needs a blow. But I want to see a lot more Deontay Hardy just because of that speed. He can stretch the field. And I thought we saw a little bit of that on Sunday. He's that one guy that is dangerous. You know, on that two-point conversion that I talked about at the top, where Khalil Shakir couldn't be the guy to get to the end zone. Uh, Tone Pucks on, on Monday's show said, and this was an indictment on Dorsey, why is that not Hardy out there? You get Hardy the ball in space, he's probably getting in the end zone where Shakir didn't. Anyway, I want to see more Shakir or uh, Deontay Hardy. So again, uh, uh, two wide receivers have been great. A little promise from uh, from Deontay Hardy, and that's about it. Tight ends. Ah, this might be the sore spot of the football team right now. I hate saying that, and it sucks because, again, you're like, here we go, Brandon Bean, first-round pick. Dawson Knox, a big contract. And these guys just ain't doing shit, man. They're not. Five catches for 36 yards between both combined this season. So five games in, the Bills with two tight ends. Again, one who's been good for a few years and got a big contract. The other one you used a first-round pick on. 28 catches combined, buck 93, and just one touchdown. And this is combined through five games. That's not good enough. And I'm going to tell you right now, especially after watching this film, Dawson Knox on Sunday was an abomination. He was horrible. 34.6 run blocking grade, worse on the team by far. Three catches for just 17 yards. This man right now is easily off to his worst start of his career since his rookie season. 42.2 PFF overall grade from Sunday for Dawson Knox. It was the lowest offensive grade of any player on this football team so far for the entire season. That's played a minimum of seven snaps. So this was the lowest graded game of any Buffalo Bills player on the entire offense for the entire season. That's not what you want from your star tight end. And Dalton Kincaid, two catches, 19 yards. Just, he's been nothing more than a safety valve at this point. Like, where's where's the, 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 the seam stretching plays? Where, where's he running these post routes? Why is he not working the field more effectively? I would say the middle of the field, but literally nobody worked the middle of the field. That's another thing after watching the film. Like, nobody had any success working the middle of the field against Jacksonville. Everything was on the perimeter. But anyway, Kincaid, two catches, 19 yards, and to make matters worse, he's in concussion protocol. Oh, and by the way, Dawson Knox also has a, a wrist injury. We'll see how that plays out during the week as well. But tight end to me, arguably anyway, has been the biggest disappointment for the Buffalo Bills so far this season. Um, offensive line, I've given Deion Dawkins a lot of flowers this season. Um, fortunately for him, you know, this is about a full season and not one game because if it was just one game, I'd be pulling them all back because he was utterly terrible against Jacksonville. Bad. 51.6 pass blocking grade, by far the worst of anybody on the offensive line Sunday. Ditto for a 48.5 run grade. You know, I like to hope, and I think with a lot of players that maybe the late travel, the jet lag might have had an effect on Deion Dawkins. Because again, he's been good this season. But he was awful, awful, awful on Sunday. Uh, the rookie Osiris Torrance, 57.1 run grade. 
This is the best of anybody in the offensive line. Still, that's not good. Pass block, 53.6. Only better than Dawkins. Uh, he was bad. Easily his worst game so far as a pro. Mitch Morris, 55.3 pass block, 64.3 run. Mediocre. Uh, Spencer Brown's 74 passing grade. Uh, it was the second best on the offensive line. I'm just kind of like kind of going back in the camera here between that and my notes. 54.4 run blocking grade, only better than Dion. So he was, I mean, he didn't kill the Bills. I think Spencer Brown overall has played better this year than we expected going in, which is a good thing. But again, just like everyone else on the offensive line, not good enough against Jacksonville, except maybe Connor McGovern. You know, Connor McGovern, 77.8 pass blocking grade. Easily the best of uh, the Buffalo Bills and a 62.2 run blocking grade. That's acceptable uh, for the season. And I didn't know this until I had to go look this up. Connor McGovern has an 81.3 pass blocking grade, which you ready to hear this, folks? Third best among all qualified offensive guards in the NFL. So only two guards in the NFL have a better pass blocking grade so far this season than Connor McGovern. Can't really complain much about that. Defensive side of the ball, Vaughn Miller made his debut and just not a factor at all. 60.0 grade. I don't even know how he got that. He played 20 snaps. He was a total non-factor. Didn't even sniff the quarterback. And obviously, like many of you, I was watching him on every pass rush. Just looked like you. It was like a, a baseball spring training game. But only this is an NFL game, you know, the bullets are live. But kind of you feel, or at least you hope anyway, that he was just trying to get his feet wet a little bit. Because didn't look good at all on Sunday. Maybe that's to be expected his first action back. I don't know. But you know what was good? Jonathan Kingsley, really good. Highest grade on the team, 91 point or 92.1 grade from PFF. He had a sack, three pressures, a forced fumble, played 26 snaps, very effective. AGF Anessa, you know, the broadcast was terrible, but one thing that Kurt Warner did do a good job of was talking about how effective A.J. Epines has been for the Bills. Two sacks, 85.7 grade, four hurries, a, a forced fumble. Ed Oliver's been outstanding. He had a 73.1 grade for the game. I don't know how. It feels like he played a hell of a lot better than that. Had a sack, two quarterback hits. Uh, maybe he had a lower grade because he actually missed three tackles out there, which is a problem for the Bills. By the way, the Buffalo Bills this season, per PFF, had the third worst tackling grade in the entire NFL. Only Houston and Denver have been worse at tackling per PFF than the Bills this year. That's been a problem all year. But anyway, uh, 88.7 pass rush grade, which was second best on the Bills behind only uh, Jonathan. Leonard Floyd had two sacks, but just a 48.0 grade. Worst among all D-line starters. Bottom line, your boy's got five and a half sacks in five games. I don't know what more you could ask from him. Talked about Vaughn. Um, in the absence of Daquan Jones, Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips are going to have to step up. Uh, Settle had a 74.9 run grade, which was second best on the D-line. Um, the two combined for just one hurry. So again, you're missing Daquan Jones uh, an awful lot. Puna Ford was inactive for this game. Surely that's going to change this Sunday night against the Giants. Turns of the linebackers, Terrell Bernard, he was fine. 73.3 overall grade. Uh, 82.2 run grade, best on the defense, 61.3 coverage grade. For the season, Terrell Bernard is an 83.4 um, 
run grade per PFF, which is sixth best among all linebackers in the NFL. Nothing special on Sunday, but I continue to uh, be pleasantly surprised by how effective Terrell Bernard has been this season. And Lord only knows he's going to have to be even more effective because Matt Milano's not out there next to him. And we'll see if that affects how defense or offenses shift their focus on the Bills linebackers now with Matt Milano out. Um, Dorian Williams initially came in for Milano, played 32 snaps, 32.7 grade was the lowest on the team. Uh, He was in position to make plays. He had a really nice pass breakup too. But he just simply, he was whiffing on tackles. And that got him benched. He got benched for Terrell Dodson. And Dodson, a guy I am not a fan of him as a football player. I've talked about this ad nauseum. Going into the season, I still maintain that Terrell Bernard never won the middle linebacker job. Dodson lost it. But anyway, to his credit, he played 55 snaps, 85.5 overall grade. That's really good. 86.3 coverage grade which feels weird. I don't know. I just, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I have no realistic, positive expectations for Tyrell Dodson. Maybe even more than Trey White being out or more than Daquan Jones being out. This is the position where I think Brandon Bean has to go out and do something. He's got to do something. It's not going to be Dodson. And Dorian Williams, maybe if this were happening next year, with a full year under his belt, I'd feel better because I like Dorian Williams as a player, but I don't think he's ready. He's not ready for this yet. I just don't believe that. So Brandon Bean's got to do something at linebacker or this team is in a world of trouble. Defensive backs. It sounds like low-hanging fruit to just go after Kyrie Elam. And I did during the game tweeting out, and I'm sure a lot of you did as well, then you go back and you watch the film, and he was just, he was a disaster. He was a disaster. 52.2 overall grade per PFF, 53.9 in coverage. He was targeted eight times. He gave up six catches for 93 yards. Five of those six catches that he gave up went for first downs. Look, I know a lot of this was against Calvin Ridley, and Calvin Ridley will make a lot of corners look silly. But that's not an excuse, and I'm tired of hearing about it. If you're a Kyrie Lam apologist, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't see it turning around either. I'm sorry, I don't. He had all summer, he had all offseason, going into the summer, all training camp, all the preseason to make a positive impression on this coaching staff. And he didn't. He got beat out by Dane Jackson. He got beat out by Christian Benford. He did not dress. He wasn't even active the first four games. There's a reason for that. He's not one of their best three boundary corners. Then Trey White goes down and Christian Benford misses this game, which was a low key, huge loss for the Bills that I didn't see coming, quite frankly. Shoulder injury. So he missed the game. Kyrie Williams not just dressing, he's starting. And he just was not up to it. And I don't think he's ever going to be. So maybe it was premature at the time to say this guy's a bust. But I'm getting more and more confident, if not all the way there, to say that Kyrie Lim will never be more than a bust. Just don't see it. I, I really hope that Josh Norman is not the answer either. Good God. I really don't. Stay healthy, Dane Jackson. Stay healthy, Christian Benford. 
That's all I could say. That's all I could say. Dane Jackson, speaking of, uh, targeted five times, gave up three catches for 30 yards, including a touchdown. But though, to be fair, the coverage was great. Zay Jones has made a hell of a catch. Um, he had a nice uh, pass breakup in an end zone, which would have been another touchdown. I don't love Dane Jackson starting at corner, just like I never did last year either, but I could live with it. I thought he was adequate, and you know what you're going to get with Dane Jackson. Uh, Micah Hyde, I thought he was all right. He got smoked once, again, by Ridley, uh, and just a perfect route and a perfect throw from Trevor Lawrence. Just not much he could do. It went for 32 yards. Overall, 55.6 overall grade, his worst of the season. But I'm not out by any means on Micah Hyde. I still think he's fine. He's good. I'm not, I'm not concerned about Micah Hyde. Far bigger worries on this team. And then Jordan Poyer. I don't know, man. Jordan Poyer just continues to be a, eh, eh, a non-factor. 55.1 overall grade. He did have a nice 80.4 grade uh, tackling for PFF. Got beat on a 30-yard pass, which, whatever. Um, had a, a personal foul call against him on a hit on Ridley, which I thought was bullshit, and a lot of you did too. Uh, for the season, though, 54.3 overall grade for PFF. Just 54th out of 79 eligible safeties. At this point, you just got to hope that Jordan Poyer stays healthy and is at least reasonably productive. I think the days of 2019 through 2021, all pro level Jordan Poyer are gone. I'm not going to say he's washed like some of you extremists out there are saying. I don't think that's the case. But I think it's also you know, indisputable that the man has lost a step. So hopefully his instincts and football smarts and physicality can kind of make up for a little bit of the lost foot speed that he clearly has. And he's, again, he's going to get tested a lot in this secondary um, in the coming weeks. So at the end of the day, look, going forward, this goes without saying, if the season, if the legitimate, realistic Super Bowl aspirations aren't already on, maybe I'm over-exaggerating when I say gone, but if they're not in critical condition in the hospital right now after losing Trey and Milano and Daquan Jones in eight days, this team can't afford any more injuries, straight up. You cannot lose any more talented players. Super Bowl teams, whether they're loaded on offense, whether they're loaded on defense, whether they got a nice balance like the Bills have or had, you have a certain amount of great players. And when you lose too many of those great players, you're not going to be a great team anymore. It's as simple as that. The Bills cannot afford any more key injuries. Uh, period. End of story. To me, the formula is pretty obvious. I mean, I'm not telling you something. I'm not educating you. I'm not letting you know something that you already didn't know. It's about the offense being better on a more consistent basis. Okay? You're going to drag the Raiders nine times out of 10. You're going to dog walk Washington nine times out of 10 because you are just flat out better. But when you're playing tougher teams, good defenses, you got to be better more consistently. They were great against Miami, who has a lot of talent on their defense. That's the offense the Bills are going to need to see almost every week now. You want to go to the Super Bowl? Josh Allen has to play at an MVP level. Stephon Diggs has to play first-team All-Pro level. Deion Dawkins needs to play at an All-Pro or Pro Bowl level. Something he's done early on, did not do against Jacksonville. The tight ends had to do something. Ken Dorsey needs to find a way to make Deontay Hardy more useful regularly. 
They need to run the ball more effectively. Something they've done pretty well this season, but not against Jacksonville. This offense needs to be better consistently. Period. Flat out. That in the pass rush, it's got to be elite. That's how they're going to win. They're going to win by scoring the football, and they're going to win by getting to the quarterback. Because you lost a lot with the run defense. You lost a lot in coverage with Milano, or who does everything. You lost a lot in coverage, of course, with Trey. You got to get to the quarterback. They got to be able to get to the quarterback. And they have been, but this has got to continue. Vaughn Miller comes in. He's got to ramp up. He's got to be great. Greg Rizzo, who missed last game, he's been good. He's got to ramp up. Leonard Floyd's got to continue to play great. A.J. Vanessa's got to play great. Kingsley Jonathan, who looked good on Sunday, he gets those reps. He's got to take advantage of them. The Bills' pass rush has to be elite. So you got to score, and you got to have a good pass rush. Very simple, but that's what needs to happen. And then again, I said this earlier, they got to tackle better too. Absolutely terrible this year. This whole season, they have been terrible at tackling. As good as this defense has played for the most part this year, a little bend but don't break, which I think you're going to see a lot more of now going forward, um, the tackling has, has been an issue. At the end of the day, the next three games, you're playing against a hapless New York Giants, which might have the worst offensive line I've ever seen. So what a great opportunity for the Bills pass rush to really step it up on Sunday night. Then you're at New England, who's just ready to throw in the towel for this season. They are freaking horrible. And then you got Tampa Bay at home on a Thursday night football game. So you got a golden opportunity to be uh Six and two going into a road game at Cincinnati, which who knows how Cincinnati is going to be. They haven't been good early on, but you kind of get that sense that they'll get their shit together. So again, the Bills are going to win games. They're just too good to not win games. I don't care how many injuries they have. But in my view right now, to close out this episode, if the Bills are going to remain one of the top two to three favorites in the AFC to get to the Super Bowl, Brandon Bean's got to find a way to to add to this defense. He just has to. And look, you're not going to replace Matt Milano with any single player. This is my final point. So you're not replacing Milano with any single player. You're not replacing Trey White with any single player that you can get via trade. You're not replacing Daquan Jones with Puna Ford. But you got to set the bar. That's not what I'm setting the bar. I'm not setting the bar for being to make a trade with Milano and Trey White. You know what I'm setting the bar at? I need Brandon Bean to go out and find a guy who is better than Tyrell Dodson or Dorian Williams, not Milano. I need an improvement over Dodson and Dorian Williams. And then I need an improvement over Kyrie Elam and Josh Norman, which to be fair, that bar is not really high. So Brandon Bean's got to go out and he's got to do something before this trade deadline. The defense needs to be replenished before they play the meat of their schedule. And if they want to have aspirations, realistic ones of getting into the Super Bowl, because I don't think this, you're going to go in the AFC playoffs and you're just going to roll three teams and score 45 points a game. I know it sounds great and easy. You got a great quarterback and some skill positional players that could do damage. And you got a great pass rush, but you got to be good on all three levels of defense at some point, unless you're Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and the Bills aren't. So anyway, that's my take right now. Not a good week. In fact, an ugly week, an ugly week for the Bills on the field, an uglier week with injuries, 
an ugly week and fans reacting and quite frankly, you know, kind of getting under my skin as well a little bit too. And I'm sure I've done the same to others, but that's who I am, man. Again, I'm going to be honest, objective. I am a Bills fan, but I'm not going to be a fanboy on social media. I'm certainly not going to do that on this show. But anyway, all right, that's going to do it for today. Thank you very much as always for listening, for watching. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do so already. I will be back with another episode. I'm going to have Anthony Marino on tomorrow. And I think he's going to be on tomorrow anyway. And he went to London. And we're not going to really talk about the game because that's old news. But I'm going to get a lot of like details about actually the trip to London. I think that'll be pretty interesting. So stay tuned. Anthony Marino tomorrow. And then on Friday, we will be recapping the Buffalo Sabres season opener from Thursday night. Talk to you then, folks. <laughs>